I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending January 8th. It's the beginning of a new year, as good a time as any for anticipating what the near future might hold. In today's episode, what's in store for the electronics industry in 2021? Bad things happen all the time, but man, 2020, the year we just concluded, stands out for a global health disaster worse than anything we've seen in a century. And there are political challenges every year, but in 2020, it seemed the people in position to solve our problems were deliberately making things worse instead. But no matter how bad things got, or get, It's salutary to remember that good things happen all the time, too. In 2020, the world saw great moments of creativity, ambition, and innovation. We also saw relentless bravery, some of it from medical professionals, but also from workers whose jobs are so common that we too often in the past failed to credit the importance of the work they do. Well, Now we realize how much we rely on shopkeepers and musicians and delivery men, farmers and manufacturing engineers, and line cooks. Let's never forget that. We should also be thankful to the electronics industry. The solutions to some of our most intractable problems in 2020 were electronic. Hundreds of millions of people around the world were confined at home, but millions upon millions were still able to work learn, and socialize by relying on computers, smartphones, communications networks, data centers, productivity applications, video conferencing, and online games. In providing these solutions, the electronics industry did pretty well for itself financially in the last year, helping to prop up a faltering economy. The perseverance of the electronics industry kept us here at EE Times pretty busy through it all. And the beginning of a new year is a great opportunity to take a look at what to expect in the year ahead of us. We happen to be blessed with a large number of contributors with expertise in a wide range of topics. We spent the last couple of weeks talking to many of them to find out what they see happening in 2021. First up, we have Jim McGregor and Kevin Crewell from Tirius Research, two analysts we turn to frequently to help us put news about the semiconductor industry in perspective. The newest and most rapidly changing area in the semiconductor market is certainly chips for artificial intelligence, or AI. The area is marked by incredible innovation, a bewildering number of startups, and a boggling amount of investment capital. Jim promised to keep quiet until later in our three-way conversation, so the voice you hear first will be Kevin's. So in terms of uh, the 2021 market, we still see that maybe the amount of startups in ML will start to uh, flatten out. I mean, I think we've, we may have hit peak machine learning AI startup uh, from that point of view. Yeah. There, there is definitely going to be more of them. Uh, there's a few more coming out. I mean, we just heard at the risk of five international uh, summit that um, uh, Esperanto is going to have a thousand core risk five processor that will do machine learning. Uh, and they're uh, been in development for oh, gee, basically about three years now. So they're finally getting close to delivering a real product. But uh, we're we're still seeing a, a good amount of machine learning companies developing their products, bringing them to market. 
we will see, I think, more uh, of those companies hit the market. But I think we've hit peak on that. I believe that's, you know, we'll start seeing maybe not as many of those uh, coming forward. But we may see some more uh, risk five startups. Uh, I think there's there's actually a few more of those in the works, and that's going to be interesting uh, because the risk five ecosystem is building and becoming more developed. I mean, there's more instructions. There, there. I think their ecosystem is is improving. Uh, we've got uh, Sci Five is the lead vendor there. I think in terms of IP cores and Andes uh, is uh, another key vendor there. So we're seeing those guys develop pretty quickly and i think the ecosystem is hitting critical mass on risk five and also when you start thinking about 2021 brian see i know you couldn't shut them up i you can't (laughs) shut me up i've got to get in there because i think 2021 is also the year of the application you know we we've a lot of ai and machine learning has really been focused on uh uh, really developing the silicon, developing the models, developing the libraries, but we're starting to see the rollout of some of those. As a matter of fact, we've seen some research papers on using AI for radiology. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, especially in the medical field. I think radiology, anesthesiology, those are areas that are ripe to be taken over by AI and robotic systems. Um, and especially with the COVID, we're seeing a lot more robotic systems being rolled out. So I think you're going to see some major advancements in the use of AI in 2021, both in medical and industrial automation. So I think the translation to the semiconductor business here is that application and software stacks are becoming more critical. So just you know, slapping a bunch of, of cores down on a piece of silicon uh, is become less interesting. And it's now the software stack and the application stack where uh, companies can differentiate and or in the case of maybe NVIDIA, uh, extend their lead even. Uh, so that's that's I think where uh, software really plays a critical role in the future. Uh, also, I mean, it applies that what we're seeing is uh, the uh, hyperscalers like uh, uh, Amazon uh, developing their own uh, processors and and as well after Google did and I I think that's an ongoing uh, issue with the in the the, the uh, cloud services where silicon vendors silicon is can be developed by the cloud vendors themselves not necessarily bought Kevin said the number of new startups is not sustainable some will fail while some will be subsumed into larger companies in 2021 which brought up the subject of the mega mergers that we saw in 2020 that won't be consummated until this year. AMD's purchase of Xilinx brought together two companies with complementary portfolios. The combination, Kevin said, is essentially about achieving greater scale. NVIDIA's purchase of ARM is different, he said. That's about NVIDIA positioning itself to compete with companies like Intel and AMD. Those two mega mergers in 2020 uh, probably pretend more in 2021. And just as Intel bought Altera and AMD bought Xilinx, the likely candidates for M&A activity this year are the remaining FPGA vendors, Lattice and Microsemi. And those two could be either targets or buyers. One of the big application stories has been the automotive market's growing reliance on semiconductors. We asked Kevin about that. Oh, definitely. I mean, automotive may have had a, a bit of a stall in 2020, 
but uh, we expect that'll pick up again in 2021 once we people start driving again and, and transportation becomes again more critical. But uh, the increasing amount of intelligence going into uh, transportation, uh, that's not letting up. We're, we're, it may not have lived up to some of the hype uh, that people had said about autonomous driving and autonomous vehicles in general, but we are seeing smart taxis and uh, other transportation uh, starting to pick, it's starting to come to fruition in 2021. And so therefore I think the intelligence level in uh, you'll find in uh, vehicles and, and transportation is definitely going to grow. And, um, you know, we, we not have, maybe there won't be drone delivery as the promised, but uh, there's definitely going to be more autonomous vehicles uh, and tr- especially in transportation of goods and serv- uh, goods, uh, either long haul or even short term delivery. I think there's we'll, we'll definitely start seeing more of that in 2021. That was Kevin Crewell and Jim McGregor, both from Tirius Research. The automotive market, as they mentioned, has a great deal of potential for electronics manufacturers. It's now an old joke that Tesla basically makes smartphones on wheels, but the joke is becoming weirdly more accurate. Recently, smartphone juggernaut Apple has been telegraphing that it has plans for the automotive market, though it's been maddeningly short on details. Meanwhile, Foxconn, the company famous for assembling iPhones, just cut a manufacturing deal with a troubled electric car company, Byton. Hagil Juliuson is one of the world's most thorough analysts of the automotive market, and he regularly contributes to EE Times. We called him up to ask him what he thinks we can expect from the automotive market in 2021. So the the big picture is that the autonomous vehicle, the use cases, they really increased by a factor of 10 or more in 2021, both robotaxis, uh, goods AVs, and autonomous trucks. So, so that that's quite a, you know, the, the numbers are small, so, yeah. so it may sound more impressive than it is, but the, that, that's a, the big factor. So yeah. if we look at the robotaxi first, so at this time, there's roughly 500 robotaxi in testing in use, so to speak, and it's primarily U.S. and China. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they, most of them have safety drivers, uh, there's uh, Waymo has a few that that uh, or uh, that they have actually had quite a few that, that lately, but not not during most of the year. Right. And then um, they also um, there can be free or, or it can be paid. And again, p- uh, free uh, services is mostly because these are testing uh, type application. But there are some some paid. Uh, so uh, again, Waymo one they, they have a, they are getting paid passengers. Then if you look at the, the end of next year, then they'll jump up probably to 10,000, maybe even 15,000 in use. And now it's uh, going to be uh, Europe enters in there and, and Israel will be there. And again, very similar with or without uh, safety driver and, and free or, or, or paid in all of these uh, applications. So, and one of the more in, interesting is yep. that on, on December 14th, um, uh, Zooks introduced this really excellent product, uh, they, they, and and you know, there, there are lots of of uh, 
you, you can see it on YouTube and all of that. And it's, it's, I, I thought it was quite impressive because uh, it can go backwards and forwards. You know, it's an electric vehicle. They can, it, it has a maximum speed of 75 miles per hour. So that's, that's very, very impressive. And it's already been crash tested. And you no, know, it's not going to be put in service in 2021, as they said, but they are going to probably do quite a lot of testing with that. And it's sort of a, uh, the, the way it's production facilities in the Bay Area that can uh, produce uh, on a yearly basis, uh, 10 to 15,000, although it wasn't clear whether that's this year or whether it's next year. So that's quite an impressive product and you know it just kind of blows away all the other <laughs> projections that are out there and so mm -hmm. so we need to really pay attention to, to that product right so then so let's go to then the sidewalk goods AV. i'm breaking those in because you know they 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 you know they're small and they go very very slow you know three four five miles an hour sure and They've been used and, you know, there's probably about maybe 400, give or take, uh, of those in use. And and uh, most of them used to be on campuses. And when that shut down, you know, they were shifting more to grocery deliveries and, and other types of delivery. That probably will also grow by a factor of, of, of 10 this year. So maybe to five to 10,000 in use. And again, now it's it's uh, US, China, Europe, and probably other countries and meals, groceries, packages, and e-commerce are the, are the main application for, for those. And so then if you go to the on-road um, uh, goods AVs, now, now we, these are, they can be different types. They can be the half-size car, they can be cars, and they do a variety of application. There aren't that many in use today, maybe a hundred, maybe a little bit more. And it's mostly in, in, uh, in, in, in US, China, and, and, and in Europe to some extent. Those are more store deliveries and also what's called the middle mile application. Middle mile means between all the, the sort of like Walmart and all of those people, they now have to deliver uh, smaller quantities from their warehouses to their store or where they distribute it. So all of a sudden, these smaller vehicles that can they take, uh, you know, they're less costly to operate. So they use those instead of the big trucks to bring the large amount mm -hmm. and emits you know, uh, less often for the, for the big truck. So, so that application is coming along. And so that has the potential to probably to go to maybe a thousand or 3000. And again, US, China, Europe and other areas and, um, and much more going on. And the middle mile then probably comes even stronger application in that area. Yep. And so, uh, so then if you look at the autonomous truck then, which is the, 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 the fourth category here, uh, there's probably about 150 of those, give or take, in use today, mm -hmm. uh, mostly uh, US, China, just a few in Europe. Uh, and uh, again, with safety, dri safety driver and has those. Uh, and, and, but they are paid, ser paid services, the goods they're transporting in these testing, that's paid. And so they earn money on all of that. So oh. revenue stream. 
Yeah. And that could uh, could increase by to, to maybe 2,000, maybe even 4,000 of those by the end of the year. Again, mm -hmm. same countries, US, China, Europe, and probably other ones. And again, mm -hmm. uh, with safety driver, I think, I don't think any of those are going to be without a safety driver anytime uh, that, that I can think, uh, unless they have teleoperation and, and that's <laughs> possible, but I, I think they're going <laughs> to they're gonna be with safety driver. Right. And again, paid uh, services um, and the goods that they transport. So, uh, the, so literally, the, all of these there for you to summarize, there's serious pilot testing and, and mm -hmm. some deployments in, you know, in, in more cities, uh, more countries, many more uh, autonomous trucks that are coming along. So, and all of this and uh, autonomous vehicles. So quite a, a steep uh, increase this year, but it, you know, it's still minuscule compared <laughs> to, the, to the real world. But it's, uh, to, to me, this is a, it, it shows that, that this is really, ready to take off and so 2022 might be a you know a, a big a big growth uh, again in 10x uh, from, from what, what's coming. Wow. Juliuson said that the leading category might be autonomous trucks and that they're bringing in money right away. There is at the moment a shortage of truck drivers and even though autonomous trucks will probably only be used for highway transport, they're still going to be useful filling an immediate need. Also contributing to our coverage of autonomous and assisted driving is analyst Colin Barnden. Colin doesn't always go out of his way to be provocative, but my EE Times colleague Junko Yoshida likes to goad him a bit. Here are Colin and Junko. Colin, what do you see as the three biggest trends in automotive sector 2021? Three big trends for 2021. Uh, so I could, uh, in uh, order of importance, I would call that eye gaze tracking, eye gaze tracking, and eye gaze tracking. That's the order of the importance. I love that. Are, are, are you with me? That's that's eye gaze tracking. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the thing that we need to pay attention to 2021. That said, so that means your head is squarely on driver monitoring system is it is it not absolutely and really what i am seeing is the importance of making human drivers into safer drivers um, as anyone who's been reading my seriously skeptical column this year uh, will have seen um, the importance of how do we keep the driver engaged in the task of driving um, and this is all about driver monitoring systems and really the importance of uh, vision-based DMS uh, measuring uh, the uh, engagement level and attention state of the driver. And for me, the absolutely critical measurement for uh, doing that to improve safety on uh, public roadways is with eye gaze tracking. All right. Very good. So you and I briefly chat about this before we got on the uh, on air, but... Uh... So tell me what you see as wild cars 2021. It, it things probably, you know, we haven't really thought about it, but of course you have come up with some wild cars. So tell us about that. <laughs> oh, I've got some fun ones here for you. Yeah. So uh, number one, I've got Missy Cummings accepts President Biden's request to serve her country and becomes head of NHTSA. Oh my God. Would that be a dream come true? All right. That would. That would. Uh, and, and if anybody has read uh, Dr. Cummings's books, Hornet's Nest, um, it, it's a, a, a tale of her time 
uh, as a naval fighter pilot, and I have read it, and I would describe it as a, a heartbreaking account. And for me, that would just be such a, a, a wonderful postscript to that story um, of President Biden himself uh, phoning Dr. Cummings and asking her uh, if she would take on the role to lead NHTSA. All right. And Missy Cummings, just, just for our, our audience to know, she's a professor at Duke, right, at the moment? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And she's, uh, she's uh, specialized in uh, what? Human, machine... So- that's correct. Yeah. Human machine automation, uh, yeah. really that interface between humans and machines. And yeah. uh, I would regard her really as, as a world uh, authority on uh, a human and machine uh, interaction. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, NHTSA really needs some technical expertise at this time. Um, and uh, I would have said Dr. Cummings is, uh, is the perfect person for that. So that's a total wild card. But okay. if that were to happen, what a great situation. What a great outcome. Yep. What's your other wild cards? Okay, number two, I have got SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, uh, withdraws its levels of driving automation as described in J3016. That uh, they re- withdraw that. For me, really, J3016 has provided the cover for the race to level five um, and very much, uh, uh, in my mind, has been discredited this year. Uh, it doesn't say anything about liability. Uh, it doesn't really address the safety, uh, the issues uh, around uh, safety, um, particularly liability. Really, I'm I'm now seeing the real world moving towards assisted driving, where the human is liable at all times, um, and autonomous driving, where the machine driver, the robo driver, is liable at all times. Um, so, my wild card number two uh, is that J3016 is withdrawn. That is ballsy, I would say. <laughs> All right. What's your third wild card? I'm loving this wild card discussion so much. What's your third? This one's crazy. So you've got to promise not to laugh at me, Junko. Okay. (laughs) Elon Musk says, I was wrong. And Tesla installs state-of-the-art vision-based driver monitoring systems in all models. Wow. That'll be the day. That'll be the day. (laughs) That's really good. I won't laugh. I mean, that's like so sorely needed. That is so sorely needed. So in the Model S, the Model 3, the Model X, the Model Y, and there's actually an issue here that uh, as of this recording, Tesla's market capitalization is just shy of $600 billion. Um, And people can say whatever they want to about Elon, but that guy is not stupid. Uh, He is a businessman. Um, and really, this uh, is an extension of my, my second uh, wildcard about uh, the, really the way that the, the levels of driving automation, there's been some opportunity to openly interpret them, shall we say. Um, and really, what I think is uh, uh, a, a big safety step forward would be for Tesla to admit that the omission of uh, a vision-based driver monitoring system and an operational design domain, an ODD, um, uh, was an error and uh, to write that error uh, and to show what a mature and responsible car company it is. Um, In 2021, all of Tesla's models are announced uh, on a design path to have uh, a state-of-the-art vision-based DMS and an operational design domain fitted. So really the three wildcards actually fit together because if not necessarily in Europe, uh, if not necessarily in the United States, sorry, certainly in Europe, the regulatory trapdoor is closing 
uh, Tesla will not be able to sell vehicles beyond the middle of 2026 uh, without a vision-based EMS. I think Tesla know this. Um, were Missy Cummings to be head of uh, NHTSA, uh, I'm sure that uh, some similar um, uh, changes would be, be introduced uh, to uh, propel road safety to the, uh, the top of the agenda. Um, and it would not surprise me if, uh, if Elon Musk didn't just simply see the way that the, uh, the wind was blowing and, uh, uh, and, and proceed with a vision-based EMS. So could be completely crazy or could be completely the direction that they're going. I love that. You just exposed three sort of holes that we see in the current ADAS and AV market. I think that you expose that the shortcomings, not only shortcomings, but loopholes that we have created for ourselves and uh, not questioning why it is so. Correct. And it's really the, 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 the vacancy in the leadership at the top of NHTSA has created that regulatory uh, opportunity for, for, for that to be exploited. The, uh, the, the levels of driving automation in J3016, in my personal opinion, uh, have also aided that, uh, that opportunity. And Tesla is the automaker more than any that uh, has, uh, um, ha has exploited that. Um, so 2021 could be the year in which all three of those uh, uh, circumstances change. That was Colin Barndon. We'd like to note that that interview was recorded before President-elect Joe Biden had tapped Pete Buttigieg to be his transportation secretary. A moment ago in our discussion with Kevin and Jim, we mentioned that graphics specialist NVIDIA is buying ARM in an attempt to compete with Intel and AMD, two microprocessor companies who have both branched out into graphics processing themselves. The upshot here is that graphics processors, GPUs, have become just as critical in computing as standard microprocessors. For perspective on the GPU sector of the market, we often turn to John Petty for insight into the somewhat adjacent computer-aided design market. We turn to Kathleen Marr. They're both from John Petty Research. We spoke to them together. First up is John on the GPU market. I think uh, 2020 uh, will mark the uh, end of an era and that that era was um, exemplified by NVIDIA's massive Ampere chip. Biggest chip ever made um, for, uh, for a GPU, uh, 55 billion transistors, if you can imagine such a thing. It's gigantic in size. Its performance is astounding. But when you build a semiconductor that large, 55 billion parts, that's 55 billion opportunities to fail. And so the uh, risk is that you uh, will have a lower yield because there are so many potential fail points. The, um, the other problem is that uh, it's difficult to scale. And in that case, you would have to scale down. And that means you'd have to throw away stuff. Uh, could be you throw away stuff that didn't you know, work. And that's a, that's a common uh, practice called binning. But the, other, the alternative way and the way that AMD is following and the way that Intel will follow also when they introduce their GPU is to use chiplets. And the chiplets allow you to scale upward uh, a little bit more easily. Uh, also, because the chiplets have fewer transistors in them, there's fewer points of failure. And so your yields are potentially higher. Uh, however, it shifts some of the technology problem away from designing semiconductors 
to designing a fabric, a communication network that lets these chiplets talk to each other. And then they need something for all that stuff to rest on, which is called a substrate. And so all of those things uh, add to the complexity another way in a, in a different vector. Uh, it also adds to the thickness a little bit. So it makes it challenging for the thin and light notebooks to put something like that together. So uh, the technology I see shifting, and part of this shift is being driven by the slowdown in Moore's law, that we're getting to smaller nodes uh, slower, or it's taking longer to get to smaller nodes. Um, and the ROI, the, the payoff for those smaller nodes, just isn't as great as it used to be. It's still good, and, and we're still getting a lot of performance benefit from it. It's just not as dramatic as it used to be back in the uh, earlier days. All right, so the end of an era and challenges for L for everybody all around. Kathleen, how about you? What do you see coming up? Well, I've gone in a different direction because most of my work is uh, looking at software. So at the end of the year, I've been seeing the most interesting stuff happening in uh, CAD and entertainment, where there's some convergence, uh, especially the uh, in entertainment, how the pandemic has forced uh, production to, to go completely digital, and it's made virtual production a matter of uh, practice rather than something exotic, you know, that switched right overnight. And, um, and CAD has always been sort of behind, but uh, suddenly they're catching up, and this concept of the digital twin is sort of comparable to the virtual production. You've got your real-life stuff and your digital stuff happening uh, simultaneously. So I find that pretty exciting, you know. We asked about exciting new developments. The latest and greatest in graphics rendering is a technique called ray tracing, which achieves far more lifelike lighting effects than before, which of course means more realistic computer-generated imagery. John said that the clear leader in ray tracing right now is NVIDIA, which is using an AI-powered technique called DLSS. For the last few years, memory chips have led the semiconductor industry in terms of annual revenue, according to reporting in our sister publication, EPS News. DRAM merchants together took in $65 billion last year. Flash came in second with $55 billion in revenue, followed by microprocessors at just under $44 billion. Gary Hilson covers the memory sector for EE Times. He reports on technology innovations, but also keeps an eye on the larger trends that create demand for memory products. We asked him what he thought. He said the entire electronics market is still responding to conditions created by the pandemic. For memory and storage, the demand for data center and servers is just going to keep going up because a lot of companies that were thinking about moving more things to the cloud are suddenly realizing they got caught off guard back in March and they're catching up. So you're seeing a lot of cloud applications, uh, investment in that regard. Uh, but of course, the e-commerce boom as well. You know, the players like Amazon and, and Walmart and whether they're the leaders or they're playing catch up, they are definitely uh, going to need the, the, the compute power and the storage to keep up. Uh, but also on the client side, the workstations, you know, the data centers and the servers kind of took over as the 
early adopters or the first adopters of the newest DRAM and flash. But I think if you've got more people working at home, they're going to want to have a good experience on their home device. And we wrote about that back in uh, back in September, late September, with our special memory project that the desktop, you know, people are going to be wanting a good device and be able to work and not get annoyed with, you know, crashes or slow performance. A few years back, Intel partnered with Micron Technology to develop a new type of memory device architecture originally called 3D Crosspoint. Intel eventually gave its version the name Optane. Hilson said that though Optane never became the world beater Intel originally hoped it would be, it has turned into a fine fit for several applications and it is likely to find more. Beyond Optane, there are other new memory types too. I think the other thing we always got to talk about is the emerging memories, which we also wrote about recently. These memories that are always emerging. And I think uh, what uh, I think this coming year might be a shakeout year for a lot of them. Um, They'll find where they might be best used. And I think we're going to see less and less of, oh, it's going to replace DRAM. It's going to replace flash, but it'll find its use case. I uh, just talked to spin memory about the use of MRAM in space uh, because memory is one of the biggest challenges in uh, systems that go into orbit because of radiation and uh, the environment. And memory is one of the last things. And, and, and mem- MRAM has a lot of promise where flash and DRAM won't work. So I think these players will have to... Uh, figure out where they're going to put these these niche memories. And, and they're going to make a good business once they find that. But I think, as we've already discussed earlier, is is they got to stop trying to re- be all things to all people. And we're going to see that on the re-RAM, the resistive RAM. You know, WeBit Nano is the only really vis- vociferous uh, player right now. So I think we're going to see some shakeout uh, with the other players have gone kind of quiet and Adesto being bought by Dialogue. I just spoke to them as well about the space angle because resistive RAM has um, potential there. And they're very focused on the embedded space. They see a lot of opportunities with just being in an embedded company. So um, and then FRAM as well. You know, it's 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 in a lot of embedded applications. So we'll see, you know, it might have. There's been some research on that uh, and making it a discrete memory and and higher density. And artificial intelligence is changing everything, and that includes the memory business. There's a lot of talk about how do you get the compute and the memory really close together so the data doesn't have to travel as far. And, And that gets into some of the architectures the changes in architectures and compute and stacking of chips. How high can we stack chips? What are the limitations? Uh, and I'm working on a piece about that into the new year. And uh, again, the architectures are changing. Intel is talking about how that will change with Octane and how, how it has to change. Um, and we have the CXL architecture that is moving ahead very quickly. Um, the 2.0 spec just came out, so that'll be something I'm working on as well. And it has a lot of backing outside of the memory companies. And I think that's in general what we're going to see is memory is not just this isolated business. A lot of the bigger software players like Microsoft 
and uh, Red Hat and all of that, everything's becoming more integrated because of the kind of computing and the workload. So what used to be just a small, you sold chips to someone, no, you got to work together to build these capabilities and what are the workloads going to be? So it's, it's really part of a bigger tapestry as opposed to just this, you know, component selling. That was Gary Hilson, who covers the memory business for EE Times. One other thing he suggested keeping an eye on. Toward the end of the year, Intel sold off its Flash IC business to SK Hynix for $9 billion. Hilson said it will be interesting to see how Intel uses Flash memory going forward. Now, every few years, the wireless communications industry shifts from one generation of cellular technology to the next. For several years, the world has been prepping for the transition from 4G to 5G. In 2020, that transition began in earnest. Previous generations of the technology have improved the service for the average wireless consumer, improving voice service and eventually making streaming audio and then streaming video possible. 5G is different from preceding wireless technologies in that the biggest advantages are not going to be for average phone users. With 5G, smartphone users will see some benefit, but one of the biggest beneficiaries will be network operators themselves, in that 5G is supposed to make it easier to carry more network traffic. 5G also makes machine-to-machine communications more reliable, which should translate into new applications, many of them in the industrial and enterprise markets. Francis Sedeco covers 5G for Tirius Research. We asked him what to expect from 5G in the year ahead. In 5G, we saw in 2020 definitely a a kind of a simultaneous synchronous rollout across multiple regions. And in 2021, we're going to see that continue to uh, the ones that had already started uh, the rollout will continue to um, get their densities up and, and get coverage up. We're also going to see some some new rollouts of new operators that hadn't done it yet in 2020. We'll do so in 2021. Uh, the other thing we'll see is some of the release 16 uh, features and capabilities actually start rolling out. And we'll probably start seeing some of the initial standalone uh, implementations as well, uh, maybe towards the second half of the year. All right. Are we going to see, um, so our... Uh, are consumers going to be uh, talking on 5G telephones in 2021 and uh, our enterprise is going to be setting up their own, uh, setting up their own 5G networks in 2021? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'm, I've, I've got one here, right? The, the iPhone 12, that was the first one that, first big one. I mean, I wouldn't say it was the first 5G smartphone that came out, but uh but yeah, we'll be talking on it. But but even even with these early implementations, right? These are all NSA. Uh, so even though the the banner says five G, you know, you you should know that the control channel that you're on is probably four G. And as you do different things, you get bumped up into five G depending on on what the network had set up. But so the answer to your question is yes, it's already happening now. We're going to continue to see it happen. In 2021, in fact, at Tirius Research, we expect that by 2021, uh, 5G smartphones will probably exceed 50% of annual sales. Uh, so, I mean, all the all the flagships that are going out are, are all uh, 5G. 
plus with all the operator rollouts, they're going to want to monetize that um, as best they can. So they're all going to be coming out with the devices. Communications networks were one of the last major areas in electronics that had resisted the trend toward open systems. A few years ago, the open systems trend began making headway in the network core. Last year, in 2020, the trend finally reached the wireless network edge. There was significant progress toward the development of open technology for the radio access network, also known as Open RAN or just plain ORAN. The other thing that we're going to see is uh, the continued uh, adoption of ORAN. Uh, so Rakuten last year uh, was one of the first, or I think the first major operator to launch it. I actually just saw something come up today where uh, O2 in Germany uh, has also uh, launched on that. And I think we're going to see that come up as well. But don't be surprised if you saw a traditional non-operator become an operator through ORAM. So one of the big guys that you know, lots of um, lots of different big companies out there, consumer companies. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to generate rumors, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to have one of those big consumer, you know, um, uh, online guys uh, enter the market as an operator using ORAN. That was Francis Sedeco of Tirius Research. Some of the leading companies in the global electronics industry have been striving mightily to go green. Google now has a permanent note on its search engine homepage that says the company has been carbon neutral since 2007. Being ecologically responsible is simply the right thing to do, but there's mounting evidence that going green is an economic necessity. Achieving carbon neutrality is but one step. Efficient use of materials is another. The linear economy is how we describe what we are mostly doing today, and what we're mostly doing today is creating a lot of needless waste. To put a fine point on it, the waste generated by the electronics industry can be particularly toxic. The goal of the circular economy is to keep waste at an absolute minimum. Recycling is only part of it. Europe is leading the way in mandating the reduction of waste, but compliance requires broad expertise that is generally lacking just about everywhere. Michael Kirshner, who writes a regular column for EE Times, is a consultant who advocates for the circular economy and provides guidance to corporations looking to adopt those practices. According to Kirshner, when it comes to the circular economy, the key to looking ahead is to look back. Look back at the statutes that dictate green practices and look back at your own corporate practices so that you can get ahead of the regulations. The Europeans um, announced a a new chemical strategy and a new sustainable, sustainable products initiative, both of which are going to kind of wreak havoc with how we do product development and the linear product lifecycle management process. That linear process, you know, from concept through design, through manufacture, through end of life, uh, is going to have to tail back and point back to uh, the front of the process again. So we have to 
figure out how to reuse materials and how to design for that. Um, so that's going to bring up some really big challenges for business models, for uh, electronics industry infrastructure, even, yeah. I think. So you see a lot of, I, I talked about this last month, um, we see a lot of manufacturers doing great things individually. Um, and it's really interesting what, what they're doing, but it's just them. You know, we don't have these systems in place across the industry. So we don't have uh, the ability like HP does, for instance, to uh, just constantly recycle the plastics that they use for their inkjet, um, inkjet cartridges. I see. Uh, they've got a closed loop system. It's all done in within this uh, within uh, the HP's purview. For 2021, it will be enough to expect companies to simply start getting a handle on the materials they use, how they're manufactured, used, and disposed of. Farther out into the future, the whole supply chain can come under scrutiny. Um, but that's kind of the next step, isn't it? Is how far out can we we go? Because, oh boy, uh, the transport of all this stuff all over the planet, back and forth and back and forth in the supply chain. You know how crazy the supply chain is. Mm. Um, boy, if we, if we uh, started to tax uh, based on carbon in the supply chain, product would get awful expensive, awful fast. Hmm. You know? Maybe a proposal to make. <laughs> Don't blame me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Michael Kirshner, president of Design Chain Associates and a regular contributor to EE Times. EE Times also gets a slurry of predictions volunteered by executives in the electronics industry. Steve Alexander, the CTO of Sienna, talked about what to expect from communications networks. He said data center operators will spend all of next year building many more smaller data centers at the network edge. He thinks the killer apps for 5G are going to be augmented reality and virtual reality. The initial users probably won't be consumers. AR and VR, in his estimation, are likely to be adopted by the enterprise market first. Alexander wrote, quote, I think it's safe to say that all of us have grown weary of online team meetings this year, and Zoom fatigue has become a very real thing. Next year, I predict we'll see more instances of AR and VR being used as collaboration tools, helping remote teams regain some of the live element of working together. These services will initially need to run over combinations of home broadband, in-building Wi-Fi, 4G, and 5G networks. They will ultimately open the door to more commercial AR and VR services over 5G networks and Wi-Fi 6 further down the road. The quality of those networks will take these enhanced reality applications beyond a fun, short-term gimmick into being a viable and valuable service offering, unquote. HP, meanwhile, offered its corporate perspective on a number of issues, including 3D printing, the company thinks 3D printing is going to start a revolution in personalized products that include everything from orthodontic devices to golf putters. And I think personalized putters is a great place to leave things. 
Now, you've heard my voice only in the narration during this podcast, but I want to give a nod to my EE Times colleague, Junko Yoshida, who actually conducted many of the interviews you heard today. That wraps our weekly briefing for the week ending January 8th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by AspenCore Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. So we asked Jim to talk about M&A activity, but Kevin, you already uh, you already talked about how uh, you know some of these ML companies uh, are going to be be acquired. So so uh, basically, you've you've just uh, you've just obviated your partner, right? Now I just opened the door for him to talk more. <laughs> All right. So that's Jim's uh, that's Jim's invitation to talk to us about what what it's going to be like in 2021 when you have all of these companies vying for the same niches and did he get frozen? Are we out of gym? <laughs> oh man. We went uh, out of gym. We, 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 we get to see, uh, yeah, he was a frozen image of Jim, uh, over watching <laughs> it right now. Um, well, it, it well makes me, it, it's not looking at that. It's nice to know that I'm like not the only one who's balding in that particular spot. <laughs> I hope you leave that in. <laughs> <laughs>